If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. And today, I have Andrew Ramondi back on as we talk early season NBA. Um, It's... While it's early and, you know, we're going to overhype everything and over-speculate on a lot of different things, um, it's still fun to talk about. So, Andrew, welcome back on. Thanks, man. It's a, it's a beautiful day. The sun is shining. The birds are singing. The Blazers signed Carmelo. An- the Blazers signed Carmelo Anthony. I know. I know. We're going to talk about it later. I just wanted to get my joke off. But, uh, yeah, we're 10 games in and just... I think it's a be- it's a fine time to f- kind of take a survey. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's a fine time to take a survey of the league, looks at look at some trends, look at some performers, uh, overperformers and underperformers. I just did want to give like kind of a quick shout out to uh, yesterday. You and I went to the Seton Hall Michigan State game together. Yep. Um, I'm not a like Seton Hall, but we both go to the law school at Seton Hall. For anyone who for some reason may not know, but um. I'm not a, like, Seton Hall basketball fan. Really, I went to Maryland, and that's kind of m- where my rooting interests lie. But it was a great game. Uh, Miles Powell had a great individual performance. And the Blazers haven't been doing so well. The Nets haven't been doing so well. And I find that, like, with the Blazers doing poorly, I, I'm starting to come back. But it's, I think my engagement with the league is higher when the Blazers are doing well. You know what I mean? Yep. I'm more kind of... Like, when I see a basketball podcast pop up in my feed, like, I'm less inclined to, like, listen to it and keep up because I'm kind of depressed about the Blazers. But what this long-winded thing was saying, watching, like, Miles Powell play so well last night was, like, it reminded me kind of of what I love about basketball, just, like, Mm -hmm. that individual brilliance of, like, a performance. Because it's so funny because when people are like, oh, college is better than the NBA or whatever, why I think the NBA is better is because stuff like that can kind of happen night to night yeah but just like it was a really fun game and i was like yeah man basketball rules so i'm i'm excited to talk about the nba today for yeah sure. and i wasn't sure if i'd be able to get up for it because my throat yesterday was like oh yeah we yeah. were we were i noticed we were, when we we were, were getting into yeah it. we were getting into it and i noticed my throat was a little uh was kind like I was a little sore when we were walking back. Yeah, so I, I was wondering if I was gonna make it up for this. Thankfully, had you know the tea and the honey did the nice. trick. So um, I'm I'm gonna be good for this one. But Andrew, you kind of mentioned uh, talking about the overperformers and underperformers of the league so far. It could be players, teams, yeah. anything that you think uh, is kind of interesting. I'll I'll kick it off yeah. to you. Who do you think have been maybe some of the overperformers? Let's go on the positive side for us. Overperformers okay. in the league thus so far. I'll, I'll throw three at you, and then maybe we can take them one by one. Sure. The Suns stick out to me, but I don't know if we want to start. Like, opening this podcast yeah. with the Suns Ooh. is kind of an incredible Let's move. hear the other two. So I, I wanted to couch it in this, and okay. then we can. So my brother, um, oh, you know, my brother's uh, like a couple years younger than me. He's hanging around, and he's actually taken the sports gambling in the recent months okay 
and he's really, really good at it. He's actually made a lot of money. I won't. I'll tell you off. off okay. The okay. How much yep. money he has? But because of that, he's been. Um, he's been watching. I'd say more of the NBA than I have. Mm-hmm. And I s- said to him, I was like, "What's? Who are some of the teams you've enjoyed watching?" And he mentioned out of the East. He mentioned the Celtics and the Heat. And who are the top two teams right now? I think the Celtics are a good place. To start here, and then he also mentioned the Suns and had some interesting Sun stakes that I'll relate. But uh, have you watched any of the Celtics and what sticks out to you about the Celtics? Right yeah, they're now? one of the teams I think that I think initially coming into the year with all the pieces that they lost and all yeah. the turmoil, all the the guys that comp or comprise the um, the FIBA US team that mm-hmm. came in seventh place. Uh, their four guys we're kind of wondering whether or not they would be able to replicate everything obviously gordon hayward's out for a little bit of time but they keep chugging along their offense looks really good um i think some of the individual numbers like let's say someone if you're like a tatum guy you won't be as encouraged if you kind of broke it down and looked at some of the individual numbers and his rate in terms of getting to the line, I think, is worse compared to last year, which is was not good at all last yeah. year. Um, but they, for what they look like offensively, it's been really impressive, and um, I've just been impressed with like how well they've been able to like come together as a team. And y- you know, Carson Edwards, we kind of joked around like Simmons during his preseason pod, like. He's like shown some things too on off the bench for a couple games too. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to see them. But what 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 were your thoughts on them? Like. Yeah, I mean, if Bill Simmons might be say like you know the, the Celtics are uh, looking pretty good right <laughs> right now. Kind of reminds me of '87 uh, when Larry Bird. Uh, um. Yeah. Uh. I think you actually hit on a great point because I was going to say to you not to like suddenly start being like we're going to expose all of our bad takes but you were kind of like I think Tatum might take a take a jump and that you've just yeah. pointed out he's been like okay I think like his he hasn't stock, taken that like honestly jump, his yeah. stock as like a a, f- a possible star in this league I would say is at kind of falling mm-hmm. but what we have seen and it's an interesting I don't want to jump into like Kyrie too early I, but without even saying that, like, we don't have to analyze that. You've seen kind of a resurgence of, like, this Brad Stevens, like, egalitarian offense, basically. You know what I mean? It's balanced scoring load. The ball is moving. They're playing with a lot of pep and energy. You know what I mean? Uh, they're they're deep. Obviously, the loss of Gordon, Gordon Hayward was playing really, really well, uh, I think, like, averaging around 16 a game. And losing that is, is going to hurt um, – they're getting Enos Canner back, so that'll probably g- stabilize that a, a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I just think in terms of a pure basketball kind of offensive system, they're number one in the league in offensive rating right mm-hmm. now, and they just look really, really good. And uh, you're right, given the struggles in, in USA basketball, if that if that was going to mean anything or if you thought there, there could be some – some slow integration of Ky- of uh, Kemba. It it hasn't really seemed to be the place. Things look uh, the case. Things look pretty effortless for them right now. So in terms of like, if we want to kind of cap all these teams with like, is it real or is it not real? I, I mean, yeah, I think they're going to be a top three team for sure, which is kind of what what we thought going in. But uh, would they? Would I be? 
surprised if they get the number one seed. Probably, I, still I would think still be bu- surprised. I still yeah. think the Bucks are, are the favorite for that. They're sitting at eight and three right now. Um, but if the Celtics got the two seed, given like a little bit of, you know, when you look at the top of the East, it's like okay, the Heat are there, which are interesting. Um, you got the Raptors there, which is interesting. The Sixers struggling a little bit, which I'm I'm not particularly surprised about. But um, when you but w- the point I'm trying to make is when you look at the top of the Eastern Conference, like most of the players you thought would be there are there. So if they fell a little bit, I wouldn't be surprised. But it certainly, from a regular season perspective, looks pretty sustainable what they're doing. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, I I guess looking at the early schedule, like the games they've won, um, the only like three team, well maybe four teams that they've beaten that were like they haven't had like a particularly tough stretch they played the yes. Knicks twice a the lot Cavs, of eastern conference the hornets teams, wizards yeah. so it's like yeah like it's early on and we can overreact and that sure. like i think like for this whole podcast i what i want to remind the listeners is like these are just our early yeah. season reactions and to kind of like don't blow anything out of proportion definitely um i'm curious to see how let's say in the next, I don't, Hayward's out, what, for the next month or so? Yeah, I think it's around uh, six weeks six is probably yeah. the... I'm curious to see how they perform in the next 15 games. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not the lack of depth, maybe, um, maybe the unproven guys like Grant Williams or some of these guys off the bench are able to step up in... Uh, Hayward's place and be able to recover from that. You're yeah, looking at this upcoming upcoming schedule. Actually, this we're gonna hit that very quickly because they they're coming up on a five game Western Conference road trip right here. Yeah. Golden State and Sacramento, who obviously have underperformed, but then you got Phoenix at L. A. Clippers, at Denver. So I think those three games that I just mentioned, Phoenix, L. A. Denver, coming off the end of. Uh, uh, coming on the tail end of a West Coast road trip, that'll actually be a good litmus test, I think, in terms of, like, are they for real? Oh. Especially the way they hold up defensively against those teams, mm-hmm. uh, I think I think will be a nice a nice benchmark for sure. Yeah, so I think that's, like, that the one encouraging sign for them, I guess, is for them to do this without Hayward and the, w- the way they've looked thus far has been really impressive. They're... There's still one, I would say, like, maybe one and a half guys away. Yeah. Like, in that they probably need that center, I would say. Robert Williams kind of looks decent for them, um, like, in spot minutes. But if they can get someone maybe, like, closer to the trade deadline and pick up one of these centers that's probably going to be available, I think that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, for sure. Um. So come uh, so uh why don't you uh hit me with someone and and we'll see. Okay. Um I think the one so one of the interesting things for me um I was going to actually talk about the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, um, no, I'd love to talk about the Raptors. Yeah, I, um and Pascal Siakam yeah. specifically. Like it's pretty incredible from 2 years ago where he was averaging I believe it was 6 or 7 points a game. In comparison to him averaging, I think he's averaging twenty seven. Yeah, I'm pretty right sure now. he's near the top. I th- he's definitely in the top ten in scoring. I think it might he might be like five or something like that. He, yep, he's averaging twenty seven a game. Um, pr- 
pretty much replaced Kawhi's yes. production offensively, yeah. and I didn't foresee this coming at all. And I think that's what, during our preseason podcast, we kind of couched it in, like, if Pascal takes the next jump, then it starts getting interesting. Yeah, um, I, I felt like I was a little bit higher on them than the average person, and that's borne out well. Siakam is definitely, you're completely correct in the offensive, in the offensive, because I think there are two things that have kind of bolstered them in losing Kawhi. One is Siakam taking another step offensively, because Gasol's been, like, definitely kind of fallen off a little bit. Not fallen off isn't the right thing to say, but he's definitely more of a complementary piece than, like, a central part of their offense at this point. And Lowry is missing a little bit of time now with a lot of hand injuries yeah, so far. Yeah, left in the thumb injury. Yeah, left thumb injury, so he'll be out a month or so. Um, but you're right, Siakam's ability... First and foremost, like, his three-point shooting, especially, like, above mm. the break threes and off the dribble. Like, I was watching them play the Blazers the other night, and they're, you know, it's the fourth quarter, and, like, Siakam has the ball, like, on the wing, basically. And normally, you know, you're expecting him to drop, like, you yep. know, kind of use his athleticism and ma drive, take a spin move and get to the cup, but he just goes bop, bop between his legs and pulls up from three and drains it. Like, that is not something people expected or knew that Siakam had in his game and yep. and it's pretty impressive and the other thing I just did want to point out is I think you've seen the emergence of uh I don't know how much of the the rappers you've watched but in the couple games I've watched and like from a daily fantasy perspective that I I like to play daily fantasy once in a while OG Ananobi has like I think he was showing a little bit of promise and then like you know injuries Injury. kind of yep. took him off track a little bit but now he's back as like wow he's a great stopper and just you know adding adding whatever he can add on the offensive end but i think ananobi and you know some of these guys on the wing uh have just in kind of it's like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts and that's mm -hmm. kind of kept them afloat defensively losing obviously one of the best perimeter defenders in the nba in Kawhi. yeah and it's been i i just think they're really impressive in that uh the the whole like this is such a like buzzy type of word the culture of the team and like the way they've been able to replace the the guys that have been injured and then Kawhi leaving like Pascal takes that natural step up Van Vliet is kind yeah, of Yeah Van Vliet's been great. Va he's been really good in place of uh Lowry as the lead ball handler. So like they have like these natural guys that they're cultivating within their system for years and years to kind of replace what the uh, the next guy can do. So, like, Ananobi is kind of reminiscent of what Siakam did two years ago. Yeah. Where he's averaging, like, s seven points a game or whatever he's averaging and then kind of filling in everywhere defensively. So I think that's really what's kind of fascinating about that as well. Um um. Yes, uh, I think that's a great <laughs> point, Kevin. Um. Did Did you have you watched any of the Heat? Because this was a team my brother pointed out to me, uh, as one he enjoyed watching. And now I'm looking at the Eastern Conference, and they're they're eight and three right now. Um. Obviously, kind of a big uh development for them has been. Um. I have horrible. I have brain Kendrick worms. Nunn? Well, Kendrick Kendrick Nunn is is correct uh his kind of emergence has been interesting Hero? goran, jo uh, goran Dragic. Dragic moving to the bench is kind of the yep. the big development but it's another thing where like 
in the east i think you're actually seeing that this is kind of a theme actually at the top of the at the top of the league is kind of this like jimmy butler's been playing really really well and and definitely anchoring them but you're seeing these kind of like uh more I think it's interesting also where you come when you compare it to the West, where teams like the Lakers and the Rockets, like these star-driven teams, are flourishing. In the East, so far, you're seeing these kind of more team-oriented mm-hmm. concepts flourishing. Bam Adebayo has been up to expectations, maybe exceeding them defensively, and in terms of his kind of pure numbers. And then, yeah, you're seeing guys like Hero, Kendrick Nunn. Good Myers Leonard minutes. He's playing twenty minutes a game and like adding stuff offensively, which is which is kind of interesting. Um, Would have been helpful for the. Blazers. Yeah, well, we yeah, I mean, <laughs> we can definitely. You know, it's funny when you look at underperformers like the Blazers and the Nets are probably two two places yep. to go almost immediately. But uh, yeah, I think that is interesting though that in in the in the East you're seeing these kind of team oriented. Uh, concepts flourishing so far and i think you do raise an interesting point when you were bringing up the when you were bringing up the celtics that the east just does look pretty weak once you get past like the six team pretty much yeah um like when it comes to these seven and eight spots you're gonna have like like this is who you have right now hawks magic hornets Cavs, nets Mm-hmm. So and I the mean, Nets are clearly the Nets are clearly the the most talented team out of that group. No, but um, I was but I was gonna say they're right as of what we've seen right now. They're clearly in that group. Of mm-hmm. teams. Yeah. So uh, you do wonder if like a team like the Heat is just going to be like because they're solid and because they have have solid depth and stuff like that. If they're gonna beat up on some of these. Eastern Conference uh, cellar dwellers. Like, I don't know if I 10 games in, I'm ready to say, like, oh, the Heat could come out of the East or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, but there's definitely been been some some heartening signs thus far. Uh, I wanted to take this point maybe before we, like, go into, like, kind of the Western Conference and yeah. see what we... I wanted to talk about Luka and Trey Young. Um, Is it, like, the debate between them? Not that, even, just but like just, like, they've been my two pay- favorite players. Uh, in, Trey, it's interesting because we both, you're kind of the Luca guy and I'm yep. kind of the Trey guy on the podcast. Uh-huh. I think that I do want to say that I thought Luca should have gone number one in the draft. Uh, wh- I think like one of our first podcasts is like yep. us previewing the draft. We're just saying gushing that. over him. But you can also go, and I've probably reiterated this multiple times, but you can also go to our first podcast from the from the from last season where we're talking about like who's intrigued us and you mentioned Luca and I mentioned Trey Young who yeah. had not been performing there. I have loved watching Trey Young night in and night out mm-hmm. so far. Th- he looks like he looks like Dame, like he looks like Steph Curry offensively honestly. Not like at that level, but he looks yeah. like one of these guys who just like has such a co- Lillard is the guy who like when they played the Blazers like I I was because the thing is he doesn't have as much of a and dame took some i see early dame a lot but like in a modern nba context you know Mm -hmm. what i mean dame still what like the 30 foot three-pointer wasn't as much of a thing when dame was coming up so it took more you know what i mean he kind Mm -hmm. of developed that over time i'm i'm rambling here but like his finishing ability kind of came along and stuff as the 
as the time went along. But when I'm watching Trey Young, I'm seeing like a star in the making. Basically, I'm seeing someone who has an expert command of like what you need a good point guard needs to do in an NBA offense at this point. His playmaking is obviously incredible, but just like kind of that thing of like if he's in a pick and roll or like you know someone's uh, sent two screens and he is kind of navigating like what my read is to make like he's pretty effortless he makes the dis- the right decision nine times out of ten and he knows how to kind of punish the other team for making for making the wrong decision yeah he's so, been really impressive yeah to me. um i thought maybe some of the shot selection still like eh, like maybe don't take that 30-footer in, like, early on in the – or, like – but, like, I guess that's their best offense and what they have. I mean, I, I get what you're – I do get what you're saying, but to me that – I can't really fault him that much. He's at 27 a game. Like, that. it's kind of also part of it, I think. A lot of that, like – You're just kind of living with that, I guess. Yeah, and point. I think eventually you're hoping that more I, – I don't know, what's his three-point percentage? Like, uh the high, the volume. This was kind of a Dame thing this year. He's um, shooting closer to forty percent. But if you're taking such a high volume of threes, like he's shooting about thirty-seven percent. I think. Three. I like think his re- yeah thirty-eight. As a 38 year, I don't think he can a fault. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you can really fault him. Uh, I think if you're the point I was kind of making is like for these point guards who take a lot of threes, if you're taking a high volume and converting at above thirty five percent, like that, the that's pretty as as offensively efficient as as you can get in the NBA at at this day and age. But I understand what you're saying, like in that he's not fully developed. But I I think that's almost one of the things that's so exciting about him is like and why I think the Dame and Steph comparisons are worthy because like. If he has another level to get in him, in him, then you're talking about like an MVP caliber player, and yep. he's kind of keeping the Hawks afloat in the absence of John Collins' 25 game suspension for for PEDs. I mean, if that's kind of a macro thing, maybe maybe we want to do like PEDs and load management near the end, just yep. like broad themes. We'll or talk. Something we'll like hit that. on that because I wanted to talk about it a tiny bit. Yeah. Um. But uh, you know, he's kind of kept them afloat and had them in that. Seven eight range, which I think we both agreed was like their ceiling, and that we didn't necessarily see happening. Uh, what about Luca? Have you have you watched yeah, much of Luca this season? What do you, what do you? Just I mean, it's just before? more of me getting excited. Like, yeah, he's just like his raw numbers, like averaging twenty eight point seven points per game, so twenty nine a game, nine assists, uh, ten rebounds, yeah. so nearly averaging a triple yeah. double through ten games. Yeah. Um. Like I think just in the greater context of everything, like I kind of wa- I kind of wanted to see what he would look like with him and KP. Yeah, Kristaps uh, Porzingis. Uh, they had a tough loss yesterday, actually. Against Honestly, the, KP against has been Knicks, like up and down kind of mm-hmm. so far, which I think, and the Mavs doing well despite that has kind of spoken to the idea of like KP. Uh, I mean, uh, Luca just like growing into that number one guy. Like, and I think if you've he showed like it's a lot more of the same of like what he did last year, but just his confidence as a number one option and like that Russell Westbrooky type. Like I'm just taking the, you know what I mean. I'm doing it all myself. Yeah. And that that willingness to take an increased workload and the ability to be as efficient in that increased workload is is kind of, it's not like what you expect, but like it was that next 
if he's going on this MVP type track, which it appears like he is, um, you know, that's kind of what he needed to do. Yeah, I think the one surprising number, just looking at it, is he's shooting 31% from three, which yeah. is, like, not no. great no. at all. Um, yeah. If, like, you... Like, on average, you'd probably want an NBA player to shoot around 35% to kind of give him the green light to shoot threes, but he's only shooting 31, so that's... I think, like, 34 is the average yeah, for an NBA player. Yeah, 34 point something. Um, but I think if he can improve that, get a, a little bit more efficient at that, like, it's going to just kind of open things up even more for that team. And, like, that team is really interesting in the way they've placed shooters around him with, like, Seth Curry and, like, Porzingis can step out and knock a three down. And, like, yeah. Kleber, who's kind of, like, an interesting guy. Yeah, I've, enjoy I, I've enjoyed – I think Kleber's a nice piece because I think we were skeptical of their supporting cast of characters yep. going in. And and maybe that still will turn out to be a concern uh, as we get further into the season here, uh, but Kleber I think is just a great pairing for the, uh, for Luca and Porzingis because Kleber is like a kind of like he can play defense but also shoot three. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's kind of like a nice prototypical replacement level NBA center for the modern game because he can play defense like he can defend the rim and stuff like that but he can also stretch the floor and when you basically have like a kp who can roll or pop and a cleaver who can also kind of pop and then if you have curry on the floor and then you know you have your fifth guy uh, uh dorian finney smith or whoever like yeah. that's that's going to be a pretty good lineup um and another guy i want Dillon Wright. i think is like man their second unit and been mm -hmm. like a nice like can play be that stopper next to uh next to luca kind of because luke is this weird like kind of point forward wing and although Wright's shooting isn't always necessarily there like he just does kind of make sense as that other guard in that in that type of construction yeah and I think, like, just taking a step back and you, the way you introduce Luca and Trey, like, they're going to always be connected because of the trade yeah. and everything like that. But I also think it's really interesting hearing the opinions of NBA types around the league and, like, I guess, like, NBA insider types kind of talking about Luca in, in one way and then Trey in another way in that, like, people are kind of raising up Luca as like potential M MVP type of guy and then Trey is like oh he's a nice player but this this and this that they kind of complain about um and I'm curious to see if that kind of that image turns around for Trey because it's yeah I it's don't know maybe and maybe there is stuff I don't I haven't heard that much of what you're what you're talking so like, about like is this a Simmons thing no Russillo actually oh really um kind of like, he didn't even knock Trey that hard, but, like, Trey Young's dad basically went back at him, um, which is kind of interesting on Twitter. Oh, was that in, like, Trey tweeting, like, the apology yeah, or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. the fuck that? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, forgot yeah. what he, you know, like, if your disrespect is, like, loud, the apology should be twice. Yeah, so, yeah, something, know, like something like that. Like yeah, that. yeah. Well, the fact of the matter is, like, Trey is just, I guess, less of a complete player. He's never going to be a defensive stopper or anything. He's yeah. fucking, to bear, you know, six foot, what at, like, whatever. And he's always going to have basically. a little bit of limitation yeah. to his game. But the other thing I would look at, I would, I would point at that team and say, like, they still haven't constructed a 
he doesn't even necessarily have super complimentary pieces around him. Mm-hmm. I think in three-point shooting overall, they're last in the league, and that's with Trey shooting a high volume at 38% or whatever. I think their team average is like 30% from three. Mm. So I think if you go two years down the line and you have the development of like DeAndre Hunter as a three and D guy or a Kevin Herter, <laughs> or it's not those guys, it's it's someone else, like a free agent or something like that. You know what I mean? I I I, I think that, that perception might change a little bit. And the fact of the matter is, though, that Luca was always co- – he came into the league as a more polished player. Yeah, totally. We absolutely knew that. His all-around game mm-hmm. ha- had more strength, so I don't think it's – I don't think it's necessarily unwarranted, but I do wonder because I, I hadn't heard that what you what you talked about with Rosillo or whatever but I do wonder and I'm not like calling you out or something but you talking about like the shot selection or whatever like I wonder if some of the stigma of like his early career like stuff at like Oklahoma and, and things like that and that like remember him in the summer league like jacking yep. up shots from the logo and like airballing and like shooting worse from 3 I think he only shot like 30% from 3 in his first couple months or whatever mm-hmm. like I do wonder if it takes a little longer to shake off that and especially just like when you look I don't know. I'm just wondering if you're seeing some residual like NBA transitional stuff at well, play yeah, and how maybe those guys are like, discussed as well. Because like if you look at his last couple months of his rookie year, he was like incredible to the point where people thought he was going to steal the rookie of the year award yeah. from Luca and all that type of stuff. So I I think it's interesting like his initial impressions maybe don't match up with like what he is currently now at this point, but yeah, but I mean, it's just fun to now see that next wave because I think it's interesting. Like, I I was listening to Dunked On recently, and they were they were talking about uh the twenty seventeen draft class. They okay. were talking about uh Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, and De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, and they were just talking about the ceilings for. I think would you agree that Mitchell is is probably the best looking prospect of those three going forward? Yeah, uh, I'm probably taking Mitchell. They were pretty set on that. I mean, they were slightly different in the ceiling, like of like, are they kind of in the same tier as Mitchell in in a tier of his own? But when you look at those three guys and you look at their ceilings, like I don't really see any of those guys ever being MVPs. Whereas Luke and Trey, I could possibly see an MVP for both of them. Mm. So it is interesting to kind of see that next generation and that the fact that it's that they're still fairly young uh and starting to come into their own and it was happening last year to some extent but i i think that's that's fairly exciting um do you want to talk about the suns now i think that would uh, i think that's a a good good natural because i think they're kind of my i would say they're probably my favorite story in the nba in the nba right now um and they were chosen chosen last in our annual wins pools so i don't think they were no, you you oh, actually had a good take. You chose them ahead I, of the Grizzlies. Oh and yeah, the that's right. Yeah, and yeah, I was yeah, kind of yeah. giving you oh, a little yeah, bit yeah, of that's shit right. for yeah. that. So mm-hmm. I think that's a that that's kind of a notch in in your in your belt a little. I bit. I didn't foresee this happening. <laughs> no. but... Um, so um, I mean, they played the Nets recently, and you probably have just watched them a little bit more than I have. Mm-hmm. Um, so what uh, what do you make of? the Suns so I'm far? Just like, what's sticking out to you about their success? I'm, like, impressed by how everything fits together. Um, like, with Rubio handling the ball, yeah. it just takes a lot of the responsibility off of Booker, and Booker can kind of focus on just, like, putting the ball in the hole type of thing. Yeah. And, like, he's become a lot more efficient in the way he's shot the ball as well. 
Um, I, I'm just really impressed with the way everything fits together. Like, Ubre's kind of done some nice things. Sarich is doing nice things. Aaron Baines stepping up, like, huge, big time for them. Um, I believe um, in replace of DeAndre Aiden, who also got suspended yes. for 25 games. Um, but I was listening I was listening to Russillo's podcast, and I was kind of amazed by, like, some of the numbers um, he had. He's shooting 57% from the floor. Forty-seven percent from three. Yeah, and the and he's attempting four threes a game. And um, no, that 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 <laughs> is which pretty is like impressive. kind of insane to think about. And um, an- another thing I wanted to kind of point out, this was something I I heard uh, Nate Jones, who's kind of like a Lillard adjacent basketball guy on Twitter, talk about. And then when I've watched him a little bit, it's in Baines is just super solid in like the little things as well. Like he's a great screen setter. Mm-hmm. And that's huge for Booker. You yeah. know what I mean? That's huge for a guy like Booker. And I think it speaks to this overall idea. And you mentioned this uh, in the in the preseason of just like competent NBA players doing competent NBA things. Yep. My brother, uh, when we were talking before, I wanted to kind of give him. He mentioned the two guys he mentioned. I think. Ru- I'm sorry, I'm getting like a little ahead of myself. Let no, me no, take no, this no. one Go step ahead. at a time. Because yeah. I, I, I wanted to make one point about Rubio first, because we were talking mm-hmm. about this a day ago. And I think that was maybe like an underrated thing that should have gotten more play was this idea of, because we always shit on the Nets for, I mean, the Suns for like, they don't have a point guard. They don't have a point guard. They don't have a point guard. And it, it maybe has gone to show that like, oh, having one, maybe Ricky Rubio is a little underrated because like, when you look at Conley versus Rubio on, like, these two Jazz teams, like, and whether Conley is that much of a step up from Rubio is an interesting question. But but setting that aside, but, like, mm-hmm. having competent point guard play frees Booker up, like you said, to kind of just do the things he's really good at and be more efficient, maybe, as opposed to just, like, a pure chucker. Like, Booker can actually be thriving in, in a cogent NBA offense, you know, so that is maybe something we underrated. But then you look at these guys like Ubre and Saric, and that's kind of why I thought it was interesting, because my brother mentioned them immediately. He's like, I think Ubre looks really good, and I'm really surprised by like how Saric fits in on this team versus the Timberwolves, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just important. Like, they're just... Those two guys, Baines, Cameron Johnson, even uh, as a rookie coming in shooting a little bit, like they just have guys and and they're well coached. And, you know, that's that that's certainly obviously worth something. I wonder how Wizards fans feel about the Ubre for Ariza trade kind of yeah. watching watching the Suns now. Do, 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 <laughs> it, it's like one of those things though, like um, and, and I think once. Aiden comes back from his suspension. Well, I'm start, kind of curious. Do you start? Yep, do you start Aiden still? So this is where I was going with that. I'm kind of curious to see like how they juggle the minutes um, between him and Baines. Yeah. Because Kaminsky's kind of looked pretty decent as well, showing like some spot minutes. So I'm curious, like if like it's gonna just be an even 24-24. Like yeah, Baines I, gets. 20 minutes and then uh Aiden gets 20 That's what I was kind of thinking like you give you give uh Aiden the token start but they end up pretty much playing or the same amount yeah. of minutes yeah, or yeah. maybe even Bane's exactly. getting a tick more seems yeah. seems or, pretty reasonable or letting or letting Aiden kind of take care of the second unit and yeah, that makes sense just because you kind of mentioned the screen setting with Baines and like 
to start off. That might be better for Booker as he gets going in the first quarter. But, yeah, I just love how this team is fitting together. Yep. And, like, they have, like, we didn't even mention Bridges, who's, like, hasn't been, like, great or anything, but he's filling in the gaps, like, just defensively. Kind of everyone's filled out their role, and they're kind of taking to it. Yep. So I'm really impressed with the Suns in the Western Conference, sitting at 7-4, and four, I believe, right now. 7-4, um, and four, yep. They're yep. fifth right now. And they, I mean, like... They've had some impressive wins, like the Clippers win, and then they've also, which was pretty exciting yeah. to watch, and then they also ha- beat the 76ers. Yeah. Um, so th- some really nice early season wins for them. Um, I think I think the next place to go right now um, after the Suns is kind of talk about, like, the, the big dogs in the Western Conference. Um, the, the teams that we expected, like, I think – even like the Lakers, they've kind of validated some of the stuff that I think I was skeptical about. Yeah, going uh, into I think this that's season. looking like my best pick out of those. Uh, if we're if we're going in the wins pool, I think buying low on the Lakers is looking like a pretty valuable proposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, valuable kind of proposition so far. Yeah, yeah, they've looked really good. Um, Houston hasn't looked bad e- either. Like now, it's kind of when you look at the top four right now, it's like Lakers, Rockets, Nuggets, Jazz. So it kind of like is, and then the Clippers are sitting at seven and five. But like, I think we'd both agree that they've been solid, and we, you know, we're yeah, not really worrying about them. Kind yeah, they kind of do. That's kind of the one where like I think the thought you and many people had was right. Like this regular season like Doesn't they're matter to them. yeah that they're punting on a little bit like they're gonna re- i mean we should de- load management was i don't like think we have that many interesting things to say about it and it's probably something we've talked in the past but you are seeing Kawhi leonard not play on back-to-backs not surprised about that at all yeah um they're gonna not that they're not rushing paul george back and apparently he's gonna be load managed as well like yeah, not really surprised there. But when you look at the top of the Western Conference, you see the the people you kind of thought you were going to see, maybe in a slightly different order. Um, and each team has their little kind of quirks. I think the Lakers, I don't really have that much to say about. Like, they just look really good. Mm-hmm. And Davis. And I think one thing is interesting. Are you interesting, surprised by Howard? Um, yeah, obvi- I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I definitely am, sure. Uh-huh. And his ability to kind of man the five spot and, like, do, you know what I mean? Like, he's kind of lived up to that ideal of Dwight Howard late career. You know, when people always are like, well, if he can just, like, play good defense and, like, Rebound, be a rim runner yeah. and whatever, and it was always like, yeah, sure, but he's not. Like, he is doing that, and that's kind of validating the idea of Davis playing the four. Um, the thing that actually sticks out to me the most, and it was another thing my brother and I were talking about, is, like, you actually kind of have seen this deferential LeBron so far. Like, to me, like, I don't think they're doing this pretty without, like, going pedal to full on pedal to the metal is is yep. kind of it's kind of the ease with with which they've succeeded so far is pretty impressive. They have the highest point differential in the league right now. So, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it gelled fairly quickly and, and there's nothing to me to indicate, at least for regular season, that they're not going to be that one to seed basically yeah i think they're gonna roll kind of like yeah. especially with like initially 
before the season started, I I was a little bit worried about like how it'd work out and yeah. all the pieces around them. And it seems like it doesn't really matter what the pieces are yeah. around them because they have LeBron and AD. And as long as those two stay healthy, then you don't really have too much to worry about. Yeah, um, exactly. And AD's been really freaking good. Like it's been impressive how good he's been. Um, just like, and I don't even necessarily think this is like the best like. Con- roster construction uh, yeah, around totally him agreed. and he's still looks totally agreed ridiculously good um i i just saw that avery bradley's gonna be out for like two weeks or he has a hairline fracture so i don't know if that means anything for them but he was closing games for them uh rondo might be closing games now because bradley's out um but yeah i i i think it's gonna be really interesting um for i guess moving forward what the dog days of like December, January, yeah, and yeah. February are gonna be like, and if they're gonna be like, eh, maybe we do need to rest these, like, rest LeBron or rest AD if once they cement their place, um, in that top four, I would say of the West. Yeah. Um, the one, the one other team that I did want to touch upon, Minnesota. Like yeah. Like, that's the other really uplifting, surprising team, for for me at least, in the Western Conference. Um, they're sitting at 7-4 and four right now as well. Um, and I a lot of this early season talk's been centered around Andrew Wiggins and what he's kind of provided. Um, any thoughts on Wiggins or? You know, to be honest, I, I have to be honest. This is one of those teams I haven't really, w- like I'm familiar with obviously Carl Anthony Towns playing really, really well. Wiggins is scoring 26 a game, like yep. shout out to him. And it's pretty unprecedented. Like it's not even like, oh, this is like, he's going back to like his early career. Like wi- now this is like pretty like out of nowhere to, to, to some extent. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, but, like, I, I don't know. No, it's great. Uh, here's the 538. We've been waiting for this Andrew Wiggins. Like, shout out to him. I, I I don't really have anything interesting to say about it. This is kind of one of those teams where I'm looking at, even compared to the Suns, and I'm wondering about the sustainability maybe a tiny bit, just mm-hmm. because it, 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 it seems a little maybe hot starty to me as opposed to as opposed to, uh, you know, like, oh, this team has really grown into, into what it can be. I w- you got to give credit to Saunders, Ryan Saunders. Uh, d- former Blazer assistant coach David Vanterpool, I'm sure, has been good for player development. And you're seeing guys like Akogi and Jake Lehman and stuff like, th- you know, people like that kind of kind of step up and play well. But, uh, yeah, other than, like, it's great. I mean, if Wiggins can score 26 a game, like, yeah, this team's going to be pretty fucking good as long as they can be okay on the on the defensive end. And on the shooting that he has, he's shooting 37% from three. Yeah. So if he's doing that, then they have something. Yeah. And if he's not – but, I th- like, I think there w- it was kind of interesting. I was listening to Zach Lowe um, talk on his podcast and talk about – not that there would be trades, but like, like Minnesota was never gonna trade Wiggins at his lowest value, and now does that become a possibility? Which I don't foresee happening, especially if they're getting the production out of him that they've been getting. This well, that might be far. the interesting question, I guess. Like, if as I'm kind of predicting a little bit here, he continues to play well, but 
they fall off. Like their defense is I, I'd be interested in going delving a little bit deeper into this. I'm not gonna try and do it on the fly, but they're in the top ten in points allowed. Uh their their defense is like they're allowing hundred sixteen a game. So if they kind of fall off if that offensive productivity like Cat or Wiggins or whoever kind of starts to come back down to earth a little bit, I could see them falling off quicker. And if you reach that kind of thing where it's like, well, Wiggins is rehabilitated his value, but they're still tenth in the in the east in the west. Like, then maybe you see Wiggins come into play. Like, doesn't it feel like Andrew Wiggins is going to be a New York Nick at some point? Like, it feels sure like Nick's almost inevitable. It seems almost inevitable. Do you think so? Are you, I th- are you joking or are you being serious? Well, I don't know. What the what are the Knicks, like, excited about right now? They're excited about the fact that their front office people are orchestrating a coup to get david fisdale fired for something that's not Not, his fault at all definitely not fisdale's fault at all which i mean is is an interesting point i think um that like he it's just like that was just a badly constructed team yeah like i don't really know how people can really put it on fisdale like there's I don't think people ca- are yeah. really putting it on Fizdale, to yeah. be honest. So it's like a we are who they thought yeah. we were. Exactly. So it's just a re- it was just bad. Like the <laughs> press conference is bad. They yeah. got a win against KP l- last night, uh, which is funny to kind of see that happening. Like all all the stuff that ends up happening with the Knicks and they get a get a win against uh, their former player. But I don't know. It's just like. Yeah, there. I guess this kind of naturally transitions us to our underperformers, and maybe we could block off twenty minutes for us to just kind of rant about yeah. Portland and we were going to get here eventually. I think we hit on hit on a lot of teams, but when I'm looking at the NBA, other than like who else? There's uh, not I don't know who to t- yeah the Spurs I think are an interesting one to maybe throw in there too. I think the Spurs and the Blazers can kind of be grouped together in these like people mm. were just like. And maybe the like you know it was like the we gotta we gotta keep them in there until proven otherwise and like we're starting to get proven otherwise a little bit basically. Um, yeah, I mean Golden State like they're those guys got like ste- once Steph got hurt. Yeah, that Golden wasn't a big State deal. is interesting. D- uh, yeah, it just kind of like wor- it looked like the worst case scenario was coming true. I felt pretty good about like my Warrior skepticism coming and maybe into this and season. maybe long term it's worked out better for them yeah so talk about that the pelicans like when when i chose them like i was thinking about choosing them to maybe make the playoffs in their early in our preseason podcast the bummer was zion going down and not having been able to play and it's kind of frustrating not to see that and hopefully he's not out long term like that's probably the only thing Yeah, we haven't really heard anything about like any his recovery or anything that's like the only thing that i can foresee like derailing his career obviously and because he's looked amazing otherwise in summer league and like dominated to the point where we're like okay this thing's for real um but yeah other than that like i think like like Portland. So do we get into it here? Yeah, like Portland. Like the only underperformers I really see are Portland and Brooklyn, and maybe if you like Philly, but they're not. They haven't really underperformed at all. Like maybe Philly, the it's kind of like the what we thought might happen, where it's like their defense looks really good, but the offensive production like isn't quite there yet. They like, miss Jimmy Butler. 
Yeah, maybe. They yeah. just missed someone to orient the offense around. Like, I think that guy... We're, like, almost trying to avoid talking about the Blazers and Nets I know, because, like, we're, we're just... <laughs> delaying the inevitable because i know it's gonna be 20 minutes of us just going back and forth like oh the nets are worse no it's the fine well, how we've done what like how long 40 We're, minutes yeah, or something so th- i i think it's okay yeah anyway the sixers like yeah they could be getting more out of like tobias harris and and those yeah. kind of guys all, all right, right so let's get <laughs> let's get into so it so why don't we why don't we structure it this way okay We've both watched you, I think, in the past week or so have kind of jumped on the like you've watched a little bit of the Blazers in the last week. Right. Like yep. you had them for a while. Yeah. But now you've been watching well, and I've watched a little bit of the Nets. Well, because they played. Um, yeah. um, the Nets ended up beating the Blazers on their West Coast trip. Um, one nineteen, one fifteen, um, to start off their West Coast trip. And then they promptly lost to the Suns and then the Jazz and then the Nuggets last yeah. night. So it's I I think this would kind of be a fun way to structure it just okay. to like try and add a little bit of fun to to what is like a horrible exercise. Yeah. Why don't you tell me what you think the problem is with the with the Blazers right now? And, then you and tell I'll tell me you if you I'll say if you're right or wrong and then we'll we'll go vice versa for the Nets. Well, is this where we talk about Carmelo kind of trying them I think trying can, to address I it? I think if you're interested in Carmelo, like keep once we start talking about it, you can timestamp. But I think we go to Carmelo at, at the end here. Because I think once we talk about their problems, we can talk about the possibility, if there is any, of, of Melo addressing it. Yeah, but, I mean, I think... But if you want to go there, go there. I'm giving you the floor to talk yeah, yeah. about the Blazers, and then I'll, I'll jump in. I think the problem that I've seen from them is that they, like, I think a lot of people have been hitting on this. They just haven't been able to fill the four spot. And, like, they've kind of used some combination of Anthony Tolliver, Mario Hazonia, and then lately they've Nasir Little, who's their first-round draft pick, that wasn't in the rotation at all and wasn't getting any minutes to start the season, was kind of inserted into the starting lineup. And they've really haven't been able to find someone that's consistently performed. And every time I saw Hizonia get the ball, it just seems like he has like a twinkle in his eye to kind of like, all right, this is my chance. Let me try to do something positive or shoot the ball or, I don't know, put the ball on the floor and go the hole. And I think ultimately that is like that problem is not – the root of everything but like all the stuff that ended up happening in the offseason in terms of getting rid of Harkless and then letting Aminu walk really affected how and like I think it wasn't a bad move to let Aminu Aminu walk and then I get what they did for Harkless to kind of you know get rid of um, Leonard's contract and all that type of stuff it's just getting rid of both of them yeah. kind of left a huge void yeah. um, in that. There was just not that natural guy at the four spot for them. And then it's been compounded with the Collins injury, um, which has been worrisome for for a lot of Blazers fans, I, I would say, um, just because they don't get to see his early um, continued development. Um, and I think that's been like – the problem, like, there's been some really interesting, like, little developments. Like, Anthony Simons has been, like, the one really cool positive, I think, yeah. for you to kind of witness. But, like, 
the big problem is the four spot. Like no, that's I think you're right, and I think me talking to you has give you know what I mean. Maybe I've Jedi mind melded you into thinking the right thing because I think the average layperson might go like, well, the white side thing is 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 we were right about that, and like C.J. McCollum's not playing that well, and those things are true. It's kind of like I'm and I'm looking at their like cleaning the glass numbers like. Their offense has fallen off a little bit. It's fallen off to like kind of that for last year being in that six to eight range to now being in that twelve to fifteen range. But I can kind of live with that a little bit. Dame's playing at an. It should be mentioned that Damian Lillard's playing at to me an MVP. Oh fuck. Okay. No, no, we're good. I'm sorry. We the it, the <laughs> for the listener the or my headphones just cut out, and I thought we were having a technical difficulty. Damian Lillard scoring like 33 a game almost, I mean, and he playing really, really well. On the net. <laughs> but here's kind of the interesting thing. So the, the offense has been okay. Whiteside has been like, he hasn't been incredible, but like he's kind of been fine to me. Like it, it's like everything it's like this vicious weird cycle of things compounding compounding with it itself. They've had injuries. Rodney Hood's been out for a little while uh for certain games too and that really really hurts them just because they're so bereft of wings on the team. By that point you have you've had Kent Bazemore playing the 4 in some games and he shouldn't yeah. even be playing the 3. Yeah. So like that goes to show like the wing depth. All right, so we'll start here and then I'll move into bashing Olshay. There's that old thing of, like, what people say about the NBA where they're like, nothing matters until the fourth quarter. And I was, like, always like, that's kind of dumb. Like, I watch NBA games and I don't feel that way. Mm. And until I watch, like, a bad NBA team, I didn't get it. Because the last, like, five Blazers... I mentioned this to you in the Nets game, and now there have been, like, three games like that. You get to the fourth... It's, like, through the first three quarters, this team, like, they look okay. Like They're, like, in it. Yeah, like, they're in it. They yeah. they hit a few threes, whatever, and it's, like, 75-73 going into the fourth quarter. And then, it like, with, like, eight minutes in the fourth quarter, like, there are other... So, like, against the Raptors last night, Siakam's like, all right, I'm going to take over. And this team just has no ability to, like, stop another team's best player. And you get to this point where it's, like... The Blazers I, are down, you know, five or something like that. And it's like, well, if they don't score here, it's over. Because there's there's no fucking way they're getting any stops down the stretch. Yeah, And, and that's kind of has been... There are obviously bigger systematic in issues, but that's just that crux of, like, where is that guy at that spot? And, you know, I was a defender, kind of, of the moves Olshay made because... It was like this interesting idea. The moves Olshay made made sense in the playoff, in the context of like their playoff run, because it is important to remember, like without going fully revisionist, that like by the end of, by the end of the Nuggets series, like Aminu was barely playing, like Rodney Hood was playing a lot of four, like yeah. Harkless wasn't playing that much. Collins was looking really good, uh-huh. and I think Olshay reacted to that and was like, okay, given this and given our cap situation, given that we're in the last year of of Evan Turner, given that we're in the last year of Myers Leonard, I want to do something to like rejigger this team, like to be more effective offensively and also preserve cap flexibility going forward. Yeah. So he makes these moves. And at the end of the day, he constructs a team where Zach Collins is playing out of position. Mm-hmm. And once he goes down, you have absolutely nothing at the wing. 
Um, and you just can't do that. Like, you, you you can't build a team where, like, if your fourth best player goes down, you're suddenly in a tailspin. Um, you, you look at that counterfactual. It's like, what if they did nothing, basically? So, just, so you're so saying like, do let's, nothing? Yeah. So you let you walk? keep... Let's pretend they did the... I think... But here's the one thing. I think one of Harkless and Aminu had to go just from cap reasons. Right, right, because, right. Because, like, the... The, well, let's let's do the counterfactual. I don't know what their cap space would have been exactly, but I let's pretend because the Horkle, uh Bazemore was traded straight up for for Evan Turner. So let's pretend they make that trade anyway, and then they keep Myers, Leonard, and Harkless. Uh huh. And at that point, you basically have Zach Collins at the five, which is his natural position, many yeah. people think anyway. So you would have to be rolling with Zach Collins and, like, Myers Leonard at the five. And then you have, like, Myers Leonard and Harkless kind of at the four, basically. Mm-hmm. You have Bazemore at the three. And you, you had to choose at least between Uminu and, or Hood. Like, there was no way both right, of them right. were coming back. So, but as I'm talking out, would that team have been in a pl- better place? Probably. Yeah. I think. Like, I think, I think probably. it probably would have been in a better place. It's just, I think. I think the really interesting point that I think you made, and I think is a really good reminder for listeners, is that there's a difference between playoff basketball and regular season basketball, and what Olshay kind of did in reaction to what he saw in the playoffs, and maybe it was. I think it was a little bit of an overreaction it in that, like, was. in that he saw, like, all right, we're in the Western Conference Finals. Yeah. Like, not that I, – I don't know if he was, like, super realistic about what he saw from this Portland team. Yeah. Um, and, like, maybe those, those expectations were outside, like, very – oversized for like w- the talent that's on this team in terms of like they got lucky with the draw to get get to the western yeah Conference and it is finals. important to mention that Yusuf Nurkic's injury put them in a tough spot yeah. to begin with the, f- the fact that they were able to make the western conference without him seems like a little bit of a fluke and ho- and mm-hmm. i think we kind of knew, knew that, that. Yeah, at yeah. the time mm-hmm. uh so it is important to mention that like Yusuf Nurkic's injury tied them up and like they're missing their third best argue possibly second best player yeah so you know i i didn't mean to break in you can keep going with your point but i i wanted to just point that out and say like that that is kind of my light at the end of the tunnel to some extent. If that if this season is a disaster, like at least Nurkic is coming back, like Collins will come back, and then you can kind of try again next year if things do look that badly. But it's hard to sell yourself on that given that Damian Lillard's wasting like a year of his best um, year yeah. of basketball. It looks like so it, it it's hard to basically feel anything but kind of disheartened when you watch this team it's it's a really fun and interesting exercise to play because it's one of those things of like what do you value yeah and like because in the short term right now like especially in the early season it can definitely seem like oh wow the world's ending without the long view and play and and i'm sure they have a move in them like later on in the season um, is and that is that is it time to trans transition into Carmelo now? Yeah, Th- let, this let's isn't talk about the it. move. 
I didn't mean to cut you off, but maybe they trade for a power forward. Right, like right. Gallinari's been mentioned a lot. Uh, you obviously have your Blake Griffins and your Kevin Loves lingering. Yeah. You have the, the kind of Knicks cadre of wings if you want something a little bit less that might tie up less of their assets. Because the one thing is I want to give Anth- Anthony Simons his due. He has been the lone other than Dane, Dane to me. Yeah. CJ has been acquitted himself decently in the past week offensively, so I don't feel the need to go down that rabbit hole. But, like, Simons and Zach Lowe wrote about this in, in his 10 Things I Like and Don't Like today, and I've said to you, like, Simons looks like he's going to be at the very least a starting caliber, too. Like, mm-hmm. he's, for a 20-year-old, he's just scoring with incredible ease when he comes in. Yeah, um, it looks imp- it's and, impressive. And it's pretty yeah. awesome to watch. To mm-hmm. be a, His athleticism is just, just otherworldly. All right. Um, so let's get into Carmelo. Um, so, yeah, because the point I was going to make is, like, I still don't want to give up Simons or Collins really in a trade, and that's going to limit possibly their ability to. Yeah, And I don't think Olshay will either, and I think that's going to be an interesting, like, prisoner's dilemma for him when well, it does come to making a move. Yeah, I think the the move is probably, like, and I don't know how you would feel about this, but Baysmore and a pick or something like that, or yeah. something like Whiteside even though, like, Whiteside hasn't been necessarily the problem, I would say, but I think they have more avenues to kind of, like... Just sign a replacement-level center or whatever. Or something like that. Slash, like, if Collins comes back, like, I don't know, was it three months or whatever? He's not coming back until March, March. at the very least. Yeah, so, like, sustain, like, you know, center minutes from, like, a backup or something like that. And just get rid of Whiteside, like because that's like a ticking time bomb in that in the in that like they're not going to be able to use that asset since it's a, since it's an expiring contract. So I could kind of see some combination of like expiring contract and something yeah. for like something else. Yeah. For it to but is fill that, that enough for them to even tread water? Is is going to be an interesting question. Well, I I think the more encouraging sign would be like, oh, at least we have reinforcements possibly coming in the form of Collins and Nurkic, yeah. like, later on in the season. And I, obviously you don't know. It, it would be tough to, like, kind of rely on those guys, especially ha- having not played for months and months on end. And in Nurkic's case, it would be Yeah, it's just the whole thing at this point, like, given how they've started, like, when you're going through these, like, well, maybe this and well, maybe that, it already, and that's why it kind of sucks to feel this way so early on. Well, th- and it'll yeah. be an interesting counterpoint to the Nets, who, like, it's not as much roster construction as just, like, the way they're playing. I, yeah. So it's just, like, you're kind of, like, well, they have to tread water. Like, well, they're four and eight. Like, you're going to tread water until March yeah. with this team. So let's move to Mello. Like, we've talked a lot. Yeah. I don't think we have to get into all the nitty gritties of this place. Like, I could go on for another 15 minutes. Basically, so all I want to say. the repli- bef- Okay, yeah. yeah. Like, so it was kind of funny. Like, we're at the game yesterday uh, watching Miles Powell yes. go off. And, I like, the guy in front of us goes, Mello got traded to to the Blazers. Well, Mello signed with or, the Blazers. Yes, or signed with the Blazers. Sorry, and and we we just kind of looked at each other like that can't be true. So we're going through Twitter and like and my phone like for something that happens to me like my phone doesn't blow up very often. Yeah, like and it's not like I got ten texts, but like five ish people reached out reached out within like. 15 minutes of that guy saying it basically yeah 
it was just like really funny because we were like, yeah, that. It just no, reeks. I of, literally said to you, uh, I was like, I can't talk. Like, let's yeah. just watch the game. Like, yeah. I can't even like process that this is happening right now. So, Andrew, now that I've given you a day to process, yeah. basically twelve hours ish or so to process. What are your thoughts on this move? Well, like it does, it's a horrible like exemplification of how desperate this team probably does feel at this point. Uh huh. And you have to like let's just get all the caveats out of the way. Carmelo Anthony is washed as shit. He hasn't played well <laughs> in three years at at, at a minimum. He um, looks good in the lifetime video. He can't play defense. Video, so. He hasn't shown any ability to like be a team player, third option, stand in the corner guy offensively. Like, all right, let's put all of that. He he's not a great personality. Let's put all of that in. The only thing I can do is be like, he's on a non-guaranteed deal. So they no, so no, no contract. He's on a non-guaranteed on deal. That if they waive him before January seventh, um, I believe like. They they won't really have any cap implica- implications. Yep. That so after that date it becomes given, guaranteed. Yeah. Yep. Given everything about we've said about the Blazers' power forward position, like, sure, why not? Like, I don't really see how your heart. Th- this team sucks anyway. Right now they're four and eight. Like the one thing is their point differential isn't that bad. Like, could he completely tank them? I I don't know. But, like, uh, uh, yeah, give it a shot. Like, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Like, I'm starting to get Stockholm Syndrome with it. Like, if he can be a body, that can be an offensive four. And, like, we've talked about this when you mentioned the Gallinari trades to me. I was like, I don't know how much Gallinari hurts them because he's a statue defensively. Like, it still doesn't solve that problem I was talking about down the stretch of, like, they're ju- this team is just – how do you stop teams from scoring in a close game? And maybe the answer is to just try and outscore them. And, like, once again, you're arguing a possibly flawed premise using Carmelo Anthony to advance that argument because we don't even know if he can be a a capable offensive player outside Mm -hmm. of, like, ISO, mellow, inefficient bullshit. But even given that, like... Yeah, you may as well give it a try because it's you're sure as shit not getting it from Mario Hazonia, who, by the way, and Anthony Tolliver, they have been as bad as that. Hazonia, I kind of feel I can kind of almost understand a little bit because there has been a thing where, like, it's not like Stotts runs a super horrible, I mean, a super complicated offense. It's like a flow offense, basically, with a, there's supposed to be a lot of screening and kind of like, you know, blah, blah, blah. It hasn't really turned out like that in recent years. I think, like, this team has as many, other than the Rockets, they have, like, the second most ISO points out of anyone with what Dame's doing. But, like, it can take some time. Like, Hazonia playing the four, it maybe isn't necessarily his natural position. So he's, as you have you pointed out, shown a tendency to just get the ball and be like, well, let me try and do something and, like, yeah. turn it over or whatever. But Hazonia and a- Anthony Tolliver has been so fucking bad like i have not it, there is not a blazer player i've enjoyed watching less than than i've i didn't like uh, evan turner at his worst was bad tolliver's a three-point specialist who can't fucking shoot threes he's shooting 24 percent, and his defense like he wasn't going to be he's old i i don't blame him but the amount of times like there's been a rope 
on um on the Furcon Corkmaz uh three pointer that be- is kind of like when things started yep. going downhill. Anthony Simon the Embiid isn't playing. They had just lost against the Warriors, I think. Mm-hmm. Anthony Simons hits this go ahead three pointer, and then for. Uh, my brother and I, we have gone so far off the rails. No, let's Mello, go. But let's this is very it. funny. Let's this is it. a funny story. Yeah. We're, my brother and I are downstairs watching. They were on NBA TV. Okay. Um, And NBA TV, for, for some reason, even though the Blazers at home, they had the Philly home broadcast. And I usually love watching the Blazer broadcast. And if it's on TV, like... But I'll watch the game if it's on TV, even if it's with a different broadcaster. So the Philly broadcasters, this was also, so Cat and Embiid had just gotten into a fight. And, like, they weren't mentioning it at all. And they kept being like, Furkan Korkmaz has been playing well. Like, Furkan Korkmaz. (laughs) They mentioned Furkan Korkmaz at least 12 times throughout the game. And, like, he, he, whatever, but he's, like, a bench player. You know what I mean? Like, it's like if you were watching the Blazer game and they were, like, you know, like, you know, like Hazonia or whatever, like yeah. Hazonia's showing, like, and you were the, uh, the Nets fan, you'd be like, all right, shut up about Hazonia. So it was like, shut up about Furkan Korkmaz. So a- Anthony Simons hits a three, and like they do this out of bounds play, and like it's like Furkan Korkmaz wide open in the three, and I'm like, it was like a, like I managed to get out, like, as I'm turning around, like, imagine me standing up, turning him from the TV as he's, like, getting this <laughs> shot and taking it and being like, if Furkan Korkmaz fucking hits a th- go-ahead three-pointer, I'm going to oh, fucking kill my... No. Like, so, as it's going yeah. in, and it does. And, like, my brother was just, like, dying laughing. But you watch that play back, and Anthony Tolliver, like there's some sort of screen and he goes with the wrong, like he's like standing facing the basket guarding no one as Furkan Korkmaz is taking that. Like he has just been so, it's hard to overstate. So given all of that, yes, I'm ready for Mel. (laughs) Well, basically I, I, it was kind of funny. I probably could have done some color commentary there, trying yeah, to. Yeah, I was doing a lot like, of act a lot of outs. a lot of act outs. This is as like up. animated I've ever gotten it on it. I Get it, getting anything. the beat to sweat dropping and everything like that. But it was, I mean, yeah, Tolliver hasn't been like. So the, that's anyway, the like that's kind of the thing. It's yeah. like, all right, man, give it a fucking shot. Like that's kind of how how I feel. Yeah, I, I mean. Yeah, the problem is we haven't seen Mello play for a year, so we don't even know. Like, so we we'll see what happens. Know. Just, just to finally Saturday, right? Just to finally wrap thing this this thing up, and then we can move on to the Nets, and then and then maybe we'll do two more topics and then close it. I really yeah. tired myself on that <laughs> rant. But they're going on a six game road trip starting on Saturday. Like you're gonna you're gonna see it's like sink or swim quickly and if they lose like four of six and you're sitting at six, six and, and 12 or whatever yeah it's gonna be tough it's dicey this really was quick. it was the first 20 games of their schedule I think out of the first 18 they only play five at home like they started out with a rough schedule and this has been a second half team but like given the roster construction and that you're not really making moves until december even if a trade does come so it's like how far of the hole can you get into does does worry me yeah so i think with the mellow thing like we're gonna get a very good we're gonna get a very good feel for it right away pretty yeah much. give it a try see how it goes and no risk so honestly there's no risk. is he still on the team by january 7th his guarantee date 
I'm g I think even odds may is is fair. Are you taking the yes or the no? Mm, I'm saying no. Yeah. My my gut says no. My too. gut says no. But you know what the good thing is? Everyone's <laughs> laughing and shitting on this so much. And in the NBA, a lot of times these things do turn out exactly how you think they're going to. Hey, but and but sometimes they won't. They don't. Andrew Wiggins is averaging 26. So maybe somehow we push this contrarian thing. Like you know what I mean? The public consensus is so far one way yep. that like it's only po- possible that we'll I get. I mean, pleasant. it was breaking news on ESPN. I so could it's use a pleasant be. surprise at yeah, this yeah. point in the season. So let's shift to the Nets. I yeah, think that so was more than enough. Right. So let me throw this question okay. to you because I talked about. I talked about the Blazers and what I thought was their problem at the four. Now, watching, like, a bit of the Nets um, so far this season, and I've been watching them pretty much. I've probably watched more than half their games or parts of more than half their games. What do you think is a problem with this team? They're sitting at four and seven right now in an Eastern Conference that is not that deep, and they've... I mean, they've had some bad losses. Like yeah, losing to the pace that Pacer game was that pretty Pacer bad. game. They lost to the Pistons. They've. I mean, the Suns are better than what we thought, but they also lost to the Grizzlies. So like, it's and like Kyrie's been good, but yeah. Let me throw it to you. What What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, because I think. Did, are we still going? Or yep, no? we're going. Okay. I, I think I keep hitting my yeah, headphones. Yeah. So this is one where I might be a little bit more contrarian than you. But we'll see. I think it's a combination. I can I can point to three things now. One is just generally weird energy. Um, as in, like, this team doesn't seem to be playing as hard as it did last year. You know, there is some weird Kyrie stuff. Um so I think that is that is one thing. It just doesn't look like a team that's necessarily having fun and like playing high energy basketball from night to night. The second thing I think is their defense is markedly worse. Um, they're I'm looking at cleaning the glass right now. They're 24th in points per possession, where they were 15th last last year. Uh, effective field goal percentage, they're worse. They're not. They're dead fucking last in turnover percentage. So and I think that kind of adds to this idea of this like lethargy kind of because this is largely a similar team in terms of personnel to last year in terms of the key defensive players. Uh, DeAndre Jordan has been absolutely terrible. So I think that could have something to do with it. But in later days, they've gone more to Jared Allen. So I don't think you can totally blame that. And I don't think you can totally blame Kyrie defensively because is he that much worse than D'Angelo Russell as a defensive player? I don't know. So that's that's one that's the second thing. And here's my third thing that I'll and then I'll flip it back over to you. Is this maybe just like a little bit of it sucks that it was Kyrie, like that Kyrie is it my kind of so I think my uh final idea here is like Kyrie weird energy plus regression. It's important to mm. remember that this team played and this was kind of something I came up with on the fly. This team overachieved last year. Totally. And it's a possibility that they are, like, coming down to earth a little bit in conjunction with the weird Kyrie stuff. Because the weird Kyrie stuff is obvious. But then, like, I think it's easy to overprescribe it. Like, I'm not selling you out, but we were having this discussion yesterday where you are like, 
the ball's stopping too much. Like, it's getting to Kyrie and, like, you know, nothing else is happening. And maybe that is true. Like, you look at a player like Spencer Dinwiddie, who's playing worse than he did last season. My friend Ryan is texting me once every three days being like, Dinwiddie can't stop turning the ball over, blah, blah, blah. And it's possible that there is some residual effect there. But you're like, all right, the ball's getting to Kyrie and, like, stopping. And and you can rebut this because you've watched more of the Nets than me if you want. But it's like, all right, the ball's getting to Kyrie and stopping. But D'Angelo Russell was an ISO player, too. And Kyrie's scoring almost 30 a game. So how much of the blame can you place on that? I don't know. Maybe you can. So so given all those things I've thrown at you, what what what, what are you thinking? Um, yeah, this team hasn't been what I, I think, I think you've actually made a really good point on the last point, the regression part. I didn't really kind of think about just cause like early season you've had and like Durant on the team, but he's not playing obviously. And like Kyrie, like he's this big, big free agent acquisition and there's all this hype around this team, especially with what they showed last year. And you kind of think, oh, Kyrie's better than D'Angelo. And then, like, all these guys are in the system for another year. You just kind of expect them to, to take another jump. And it just brings us back to this idea of progression isn't linear. Yeah. And I, I think the regression part is really interesting. And I was doing a deeper dive this morning, actually, on some of the numbers that you kind of talked about. Def- offensively, like their net ratings, like tenth or eleventh. Yeah. So they haven't been terrible yeah. offensively. Like they could put the ball in the hole, and like I've kind of backed off on the on the notion that the ball is stopping. It does stop, but Kyrie's being efficient with his. Like he's having yeah. the. Be- I was just looking. It might not be aesthetically pleasing, but and it could yeah. be. I'm sure it's frustrating when it's not working. I'm sorry to cut you off, but like, yeah, I think that's there's kind of a distinction between the actual efficiency of an offense and like the kind of aesthetic problems and that I do think manifest themselves sometimes in like close games or or whatever. Yeah. Like if you just look at the numbers, yeah. He's having the best year of his career. Yeah. At this point. He's averaging thirty a game, like shooting fairly efficiently, like Pretty much everything you'd want out of Kyrie, you're getting out of Kyrie. The I think the aesthetic part of it kind of plays to the te- weird team chemistry. Yeah. Like I think some people could kind of get no, like this in their in their brain of like Kyrie gets the ball again, he's shooting the ball again, and then I think a lot of players can kind of check out a little bit and say like that's a really good point because i think like, that's part of the the boston pro when you look at boston from last year to this year that kind of makes sense where they're like all right i'll just stand here in the corner like, like all right have this a good is, one right this is Kyrie's possession all right i guess i'm just standing here and then when dinwiddie gets the ball all right i got the ball let me do something with it or karis lavert who i definitely like but he's going to be out for a couple weeks because he has a torn ligament in his finger like when they get the ball, it's, like, fun to see them do interesting things. But I think they kind of feel the pressure of, like, our our chances are becoming yeah. a little bit more limited. So we have to do something with the chances that we get. Um, and I think that plays a part of it. And I think that's kind of where the frustration lies and the weird energy with this team. Um, but defensively has been the problem. Yeah. Like, they are 
I think they're 26th right now in net rating, and that's got to change. That's why you bring in Amon Shumpert, and I'm kind of saying that somewhat sarcastically. Yeah. But, like, they need to change something to kind of get them going, and it's, like, been frustrating yeah. that they have it. And it's interesting. Atkinson is playing um, with the lineups a little bit, slash, like, playing with the rotation. Like, Musa, who is a, who, who is a rookie last yeah. year, didn't get off the bench at all last year, basically. And he's been playing and a little bit. I know he played in the Blazer game. He's yeah. playing like 15 minutes a game. Nick Claxton, who was there. I liked pick. Claxton he, in the Blazer game, yeah, actually. He, he does some interesting things. Like, he supposedly can spread the floor, like, eventually. like, And, like, he's rangy, athletic. He kind of reminds me of, like, early Jared Allen, yeah, ironically. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, he's going to give them some minutes. DeAndre Jordan hasn't been... Yeah, like yeah. we pretty much knew going into the season, like he signed because, like he was signed because that he was needed to be signed to in order to get Kyrie and KD. So like, yeah, like it was almost like a necessary evil, and you're like, all right, throw your hands up, fifteen minutes a game for him. Yeah. Hopefully that that's what it's limited to. Um, but yeah, I I think. The what was that? What else was I gonna say? I'm just like so frustrated by this team right now. Yeah, that I know. Like, I think it is. Like, and it is. Like it does connect. It got, so uh, let's go here, and then I think I wanted to give you like the pro, my outsider's silver lining, and then maybe you could rebut and say okay. why we should be pessimistic. But I did want to point out. You said this before the season, and I was kind of like, oh, come on, come on. But I do think there is that weird pain, and the, you're expe we're experiencing it with the Blazers, too, of, like, going from that scrappy, like, the failures of a team makes the aesthetic things, like, it magnifies the pain of those aesthetic things. Because my friend Ryan has said this to me, too, of just, like, I loved watching last year's team so much more than this year's team. Mm -hmm. And I think just when you're watching... When a team loses the identity that kind of was tied to a success, the success and the success is less. Like it kind of, it kind of makes that all the more painful. But um, here's here's kind of the positive. Like if I'm a Nets fan, like it's my like I think you have the right to feel better than I do, and here's why. Like the flaws with personnel are less evident. Like energy can change easier than you know like a structural problem the structural problems seem fairly fixable um it's possible that this is just a slow start and it's possible that there's some regression and that it'll balance itself out the other thing i wanted to point out and i i think it's like a thing you pointed out before before the season a good thing that hasn't happened like yes Jackie McMullen wrote an article talking about how much of a weird shithead Kyrie is and it's obvious that he's a weird shithead but, like, you haven't seen the media gang up on this team. Like, it's possible they would have. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like the Nets underperforming is a, is a huge story, necessarily, like, in the national NBA landscape. And I think that's a good thing because I think you were worried about, like, the expectations of this team and, like, it getting to them. And I think the, the expectations going forward aren't going to be that high, which may prove to their benefit because I think it's possible that we're, like – coming back in two months and being like oh the nets are now like five games over 500 and they're quietly looking okay like i think that narrative isn't that far-fetched so give me the doom and gloom perspective now that i've given you the no i the positive 
no. Kyrie really it, we start to go Celtics 2.0 and like yeah it, yeah I j- think it, it jeopardizes the idea of KD coming back or whatever yeah is, is, I, I think it the, could go down that line of thinking but it's like I I'm not like hitting the panic button yet yeah. but it's more just my irrational fandom yeah. of the Nets it's, it's that's reasonable kind, though that's yeah. kind of been like uh oh like. I am hitting. I am hitting the panic <laughs> button. So that is, this, is a good. Is this the start of things and like yeah. what is happening and all that stuff? Like, I just think there's like interesting stuff that's happening. Like even just like on the bench, you you st- like I would see like Theo Pinson get up and like danced and like react. He still dances. No, he still dan- Theo Pinson is a great bench guy. Bench guy dancing but even just like deandre jordan shooting him a look as he's dancing like what the fuck is this guy doing like and i'm like yeah like he deandre jordan like basically there would be another young player kind of encouraging that and like it just doesn't feel like there's like a unity within the team yet and And i think like deandre jordan's coming from a place of like oh we're nba players we don't really like we don't do that type of shit but like Theo, and this is like so like meta, and I'm reading. Yeah, you're it's going meta. You're going meta like big time, this, but that's but fine. But it's more just like, I, I, it's like that idea of are they having fun? No, and oh, totally. Like, and, and that's and it tied back to that point of what I was making and was like the attitude and the. It's like this weird vicious circle of like kind of the result at the top, like, the attitude and the style of play and, like, how does that actually feed what's causing what is kind of an, a hard thing to and, parse. And I think it's, like, also with the raised expectations, I think some of these guys are feeling they kind of are like, all right, this is our time to take, like, the next jump up yeah. before KD comes back onto this team to show KD, like, we're a for real type of contender even without him. So, like, when he comes back in, he just takes us to another level. And, you know, like, Levert, he just had surgery, so he's out. Yeah, we were talking about that. He's out four to six weeks. How are you feeling about – because that was kind of like our before the season, and and maybe this can be our – because I wanted to just make one point, and I think that'll be an interesting thing to monitor, like, if we want to keep an eye on this meta stuff. I think, like, looking at, like, what post-game interviews look like and what the guys are saying and stuff like – you know, how – how Richard Jefferson and Sarah Kustik are talking about this team. Like, are they going like, yeah, and a lot, you know, these guys are, their their spirits are still up, or are they going like, uh-oh. Yeah, exactly. You can kind of tell, like, it's very interesting, like, with the Blazer, with uh, Kevin Calabro and, and Lamar Hurd, they've gotten more and more homery, actually, as this team has gotten worse, which is kind of it. You know what I mean? Like, okay. when they're when they're playing well, like, they're willing to be a little bit more objective, whereas, like, they're, like, anytime Anthony Tolliver would hit a three, Kevin Calabro, who's, like, the constant media guy, would be like, you gotta see that. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, and this other thing he was saying was, like, he was talking, like, uh, Hassan Whiteside doesn't really set good screens, and that's kind of, like, his thing. A weird thing yeah. that they've adjusted, like, had to adjust to because Nurkic sets good screens. And, like, Scal was coming in, and he's like, oh, I love the way, you know, Scal's setting hard screens and uh. stuff like that. <laughs> but, you know, those ancillary things will be interesting to keep tabs on because I think that'll be, like, kind of, like, a way to gauge the dividing line between, like, blip versus, like, actual disastrous trend downward. Um, but the thing I, wa- I think a good way to end is, like, 
a good like barometer is like how are you feeling about Levert given the injury and maybe how he had played prior to that because I think me and you were talking about like is this going to be a guy who just plays 55 games a year yeah and, and that limits that's his ceiling well obviously. that's what I'm worried about just injuries and like it's just like it's like a fluke in it's not even like an injury that's like you can really foresee happening like it's just like not in the way it's contributing to way the way he plays and like that's why he got injured like last year's injury that was complete fluke injury like this year like even the thumb thing that's like a weird thing too i'm still holding out hope like he showed some pretty good signs like he was getting a lot more comfortable like he was averaging 17 a game five and five yeah like that's pretty much what i wanted out of him coming into the season and he was shooting 36 percent from three like he was spacing the floor enough um around Kyrie. like everything i wanted out of him like as long as he was around that trajectory like it would have been perfect and then he gets this injury so the jury's still out on him because if he's not able to stay on the court Unfortunately, it doesn't really matter if yeah. he can like show it in three games here, three games there, and then he's out for an extended period of time. Um, yeah, but he's going to really change the trajectory of this team, and if he's not on the court, it doesn't matter. So that's kind of how I feel about that. Um, so I guess to move on to some, I would say, you know, we talked about the Blazers and the Nets for a combined 30 minutes, but like it kind of shows our frustrations with our teams. But I think in terms of like, getting general, <laughs> like, big-picture yeah. NBA stuff in play. Um, we talk, We kind of mentioned the load management type of question, like um, the suspensions, all that so type what of stuff. So I'm interested to hear your take on that because this was something you kind of pointed, you seemed to be, and I'm interested in it too, but I think especially when Cal, because I think it was like Wilson Chandler before before, before the, the season. season, and that's like one of those one off, like, yeah. and then Aiton gets hit, and then John Collins gets hit. Was John Collins a diuretic as well? Because uh, I know I'd have to look that up. Aiton tested positive for a diuretic, which is basically something that makes you go piss a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And the pro the reason that's a banned substance under the NBA is because people are t- who are taking diuretics are probably trying to hide some other sort of PED in their in their system. I don't know what the John Collins one was, but yep. um, so Aiton was the diuretic. Um, and then Collins tested positive for growth hormone releasing peptide. Bro, two, and we didn't even talk about we didn't even which talk is, which is known to increase appetite. They're interesting. So he's trying to bulk up. Mm-hmm. Speaking of known to increase appetite, we haven't even mentioned Dion Waiters is gummy yeah. story. Yep. I don't let's know get, what our well we'll get into that too. Okay. Yeah, let's so get we'll into we'll it. get that as a separate but I guess my question I'd throw to you, because once Collins got hit, you sent me a text kind of being like what does this mean or like kind of like it seems like this is a trend and the question i wanted to pose to you because i def we haven't really talked about it in person does this strike you as like one increased usage in peds among nba players (laughs) or two the nba trying to send maybe like kind of a warning shot like we're gonna get more serious about this and it's possible that this was i mean the fact of the matter is the best player in the game lebron james has these kind of like 
half conspiracy theory, half not rumors of like him being a guy who uses maybe HGH or something performance enhancing yeah. drugs has has long been a thing. So, where, what do you make? Is this a blip on the radar or a bigger trend? Is kind of is kind of my question. Well, to it's you. hard to see a trend after three guys. Yes. Obviously, um, like you. I would be moving towards a blip on the radar, but I think what's interesting about all this is like they're three like the Wilson Chandler will take out of it. Collins and Aiton though, like Aiton was the number one pick. Yeah. And Collins is like one of those guys that is like a young guy that hasn't like that a lot of people were looking towards to like fulfill potential. Sure. So those two guys are interesting in that they're not established in the league yet, so maybe they're just kind of like quick warning shots from like league office, like, all right, we know it's out there. If you're doing it, stop. Yeah. And this is the example. Maybe they're getting more efficient at all this type of stuff. But, like, it's just really, like, my thing is, like, the way, like, and we can get cross sports in this in this type of conversation. Like, the way the NBA pleases their players with this stuff in comparison to baseball or to, like, football and all this stuff is completely different. And I think Silver and, like, the mandate for the NBA has kind of been, like, why would we want to punish our star players because yeah. of, like... And even if they did find something, like, let's say they did find some, something for someone like LeBron James or someone else that was, like, on that tier, Russell Westbrook, Harden, things like that. Like, why would they want to suspend those dudes? Yeah. And I think that's kind of, like, the underlying reason because, like, the NBA is such a star-driven league that it becomes, like one of those and things it, in, and it is a weird existential question like what i think more would have to ha like we'd have to fight like nba lebron james would have to get hit with a ped suspension before we really got into this but this i like existential questions of like are certain ped uses better than no or, or maybe more justified slash less of a problem in baseball versus basket like yeah is a player using stuff for like recovery purposes? Because we've got and it ties into load management too, yeah, which yeah. is this interesting question of like in a sport where like we know the players are probably playing too many games a season. It's true in the NFL too, so that's not fair. But like where you're playing night to night and you're trying to you know make sure you don't tear a ligament or whatever, um, is kind of an, an interesting question. Like, is the NBA maybe more accepting of certain things or being more lazy fair given the possibility that players are using certain things in their regimen versus baseball where it was, like, obvious that, like, being really fucking strong helped you to hit more home runs, like, mm. is kind of a weird, weird question. But I, I don't know. Like, yeah, to me, it strikes me as, like, a little bit of a warning shot. I think you hit the yeah. nail right on the head being like, hey, just to let you know, like, we're out here we'll actually this. caring yeah. about. Like, we do care. So um, do I think I – think I'm guessing PED usage in the NBA is a lot more widespread than those two guys. And the fact that it's two young guys is, is particularly interesting. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah. And then let's get into the waiters thing because, like, well, the it's, waiters thing's a whole different story, though. Yeah, it's a different story. In I'm that. interested in what you think of this. Like, 
I I thought you're, it was funny. Yeah, well, <laughs> everyone thinks it's funny. I mean, you're a relative. Well, no, I was about to paint you as the neither of us, like, you know, I'm willing to say on this podcast, not really a weed guy. Experimented it with it a little bit in my uh-huh. younger days. No, uh, yeah. Um, I'm a whereas you're a pretty edge. straight yeah. edge, dude. Yeah. So I just wondered what, because the funny thing is anyone, people taking an edible and then freaking out <laughs> is like, a famous thing that pretty much happens to everyone. I've had, uh, I've a know, couple. Sorry to my mom, but like <laughs> I had one really bad, like weed-induced panic thing, like when I was like eighteen or something like that. Um, no, and, I just and have it, a couple. And it does cool, happen. Like, was it his first time taking it? I don't. Like, it doesn't strike it me. Well, like, that's the interesting thing. The idea that he got it from someone else is pretty interesting, and that yeah. seems kind of commensurate with the narrative of like he didn't know what he was getting into, and it, yeah, exactly, you know, like fucked him up. But um, yeah, and I then he got suspended ten games for or whatever. Yeah, right? and he had already. It, it is kind of the sad part of maybe a kind of sad narrative of this guy who's like had weight problems and, like, been suspended for conduct detrimental to the team before. Like, it, it, it is funny, but it kind of does fit into this pet narrative of Dion Waiters that's maybe a little bit more unfortunate. But, um, yeah. Who do you think he got? Can I'll pull up the Miami Heat roster right now. If he truly did get the edible from someone else, here are your options. <laughs> and I'll give you my top. Bam, Jimmy Butler, Udonis Haslam, Tyler Hero, James Johnson, Derek Jones, Myers Leonard, and then you have like Kendrick. I'll just say the people who were like real, like actual players: Kendrick Nunn, Kelly Olynyk, Justice Winslow. Oh, also shout out to Chris Silva, who uh, I think played at uh, played at Roselle Catholic. I'm pretty sure with yep. my friend Ryan Quinn and uh, Carolina, is now playing yeah. playing for the Heat. So who who sticks out to me? It's like I I got Udonis Haslam and. James Johnson as my top two, thinking. and then Kelly Olynyk, Dark Horse would, oh. were, would be my would be my top three. It would just be really funny if it was someone like Myers too. I, I really <laughs> don't see it, but <laughs> but who knows? Bringing bringing the stuff from Portland or something like true, that. Yeah, true. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, I I just think it was a really. It was a funny story, but it was also kind of sad because he, like, he's been trying to get his career back on track and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, load management stuff. Any comments on that? Like, in in the way it ties into like the. Here's all right. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds because I feel like we talk. I'm fine with load management on the whole, but with Kawhi specifically, how it started. Do you see, like, the fine and everything like that? How it, well, yeah, the fine was just, just whatever. It, it was just whatever. To, yeah, yeah, to be honest, the fine was whatever to me because uh, uh, it's that weird thing of, like, what what's the difference between being heard enough that you need to be load managed versus being, like, okay enough to play? And that was the weird dichotomy. Doc Rivers wanted to assure the fans that, like, it's not serious and yet it is serious enough that he needs to be load managed, which I think is a reasonable dichotomy. It's just this weird front. To me, I think you and I both agree that load management is fine. Just do it. It's fine. It's fine, but it does start interact with th- three things, like, I guess, ticket sales and, like, this. But we yeah. already talked about this shit when, like, d- when this is why, like, I don't know the idea of, like, I don't really have ent- anything interesting to say because, like, uh-huh. remember when Greg Popovich, like, sat all three yeah, spurs yeah. and it's like, well, the people who paid for tickets and blah, I, I get it and I empathize. Like, I wonder if the NBA 
I'm I'm ranting, but like Kawhi also like he sat when they were playing the Bucks on national TV, but then played against the Blazers. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the NBA will slowly start to through back channels be like we're fine with it. Could you like, like do it when they're playing? Yeah. Or yeah, that that might be the interesting thing is like. If you're submitting, a, if you're doing load management, you need to, that would be an interesting. I like this. A week the in thing advance is, or something like no, that. Yeah, or like no, yeah, you need to for the foreseeable twenty games. You need to like say pick out you the need games. to commit to when the player is being out. Would kind of be an interesting thing. I don't know if that intersects with like HIPAA or or, or transpa- like, medical, you or know, even trans- just like the players. Because you think about Kawhi's thing. Yeah. Like I didn't necessarily want this thing about my knee or whatever being out, out. there. Yeah. All right. So I I ranted. What 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 do you no, what did I'm you on, make I'm of on all the same, that? I'm on the same page. As I kind of like yeah. this idea of like forcing teams to commit to what games they're going to do. It would would kind of be interesting. Yeah, th- I think that would be interesting. Um, I guess like it loses the it it loses the flexibility, obviously, of like what they can kind of. But it's possible that teams don't want to do that either, though, because like. Who's buying tickets for Clippers, uh, you know, Hornets when you know two weeks in advance that they're gonna Kawhi's be, not playing? Exactly. Yeah. So there's all these variables in play that I think it are gonna be really hard. To hey, manage. there's an easy uh, fix for this: shorten the season. Yeah, it's not happening though, and until that happens, we are learning more and more. Like we talked about this a couple. I thought it was a great conversation we had about like the future of like analytics in terms of health and recovery and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it's this weird dichotomy. Like, can you really, f- well, I mean the NFL, it's an interesting question as well, but without going too existential, like players get played ostensibly to play 82 games a year, but should you be forced? What are the balance of interest in forcing players to arguably do something that's detrimental to their overall health and mm-hmm. future ability to play versus the players Honoring their commitments and playing in all of the yeah, scheduled games. That, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a, it's. An I think you question. and I both tend to feel on the side of like, do, players should do what, or teams should do what they feel is medically best for the players. Exactly. But there are those interesting questions to swirl, and it'll certainly be interesting to see how they develop. Yeah. So I, I don't think I don't have much else to cover. No, I think, I think we hit on a, a lot. lot I think stuff. we talked about at least half the league. Yeah. Individually. So if we haven't so. talked about your team, we're really sorry. We'll try to get it on the next pod. Um, yeah. I just passed a hundred podcasts. Congrats, this man. Is, this is one oh one actually. Awesome. So really cool to kind of keep it going for sure. Um, I'm uh, when uh, in terms of time, uh, w- how long have you been doing them? Um, About a year and a half now. So that's I mean you've probably done multiple average uh, average more than one a week. So yeah. shout out to you and your and your commitment. I mean you're always so well prepared for these. Uh, I think you do a great job. And thanks for having me along for the ride. Yeah, it's always a lot of fun to have you on, Andrew. Before we actually go, I did want to talk about one thing, and this is one thing that we kind of mentioned off-air a while ago. Um, It was talking about trying to introduce something a little bit more different and fun um, to the podcast that's not related to basketball at all. I forget what with this was because it was our it was our food review. Oh, are you are we getting into Popeyes? So. Yeah, why don't we get into Popeyes? And I also brought Andrew honey butter chips. Oh, uh, that's what that was for. Okay, so let me bring the chips back. So we're bringing the chips out for Andrew. This um, was a great idea. Honey butter chips are a pretty popular yeah. uh, snack in Korea. 
Um, they had like a huge craze back in, back in like I, I would say three to five years ago. Okay, maybe a little bit longer, where people would go crazy for these chips to the point where like they would sell out of at uh that's like interesting at like um shopping places and stuff like that long lines and stuff like people would go crazy over these chips so we'll talk about the honey butter chips i'm letting andrew try these i'm gonna eat one i had had them before you came in like when you brought them because i didn't realize that this was like content for the podcast so i'm gonna have one more bite i know people have like misophonia or whatever people chewing on mics so i'm gonna put my mic down while i eat it this is this brand like is there a specific like this is high tie it looks like is I, the, is, I think that's is like the name of the brand is that like the OG is that yeah, like yeah. the Lay's basically yep. and they have like they have like even like um, Trader Joe's has gotten in on it and yeah. like like they have their branded ones yeah so this like says French gourmet butter on it uh, honey butter is is obviously the flavor I had never had this before. Um, 175 calories per serving size. I mean, you want to be careful to you not probably, eat the whole yeah, bag of these. You probably don't uh, want to look at it. I'm going to have one more. Yeah, you want one? Yep, let's do it. All right. They're weirdly addicting. I love them. I could finish a whole bag in one sitting. So, all right, Andrew's going in. So, right off the bat, I will say this. What sticks out to me in a positive way Butter flavor in, like, snacks, it's good, but, like, there's an artificiality to it a lot of the time. But in this chip specifically, I think it's pretty authentic butter flavor. And, uh, I mean, these rule. I mean, there's there's nothing to be said. I said uh, before, when I was trying them before, it kind of reminds me of, like, a kettle corn vibe. In this, because it is a little, it was a little... Um, I don't know what's that word. Uh, there was a little bit of. I I literally think I have subtle problems. Subtle? No, there's a disconnection. What's that word that when like two things don't really go together? I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna. Th- there's like a discord like with the idea of like honey butter and potato chip basically. That's true. Right, right. Like they're not two things I would normally think of that necessarily that go, together. go together. Right. But it gives it's kettle corn vibes like it's the salty sweet thing. I I think the butter the factor is like it it works perfectly. It's not too over the top. It's not too artificial. Um I'm certainly going to be eating the rest of these fairly soon and uh I, I didn't know about the trendiness. I think you had mentioned it to me before, but um, I'll be going back for more. Now, I like to rate food. I did this with uh, Chipotle recently. You okay. know, I'm a music fan, and there's a famous music site. It's called Pitchfork. Have okay. you ever read Pitchfork yes, before? Yep. So Pitchfork rates things on a scale of 0 to 10 by decimal points, mm-hmm. and they have a designation that's very famous called Best New Music. It's like their version of like an editor's pick. Okay. It's very prestigious to get Best New Music. I'm giving these 8.7 best new music. Ooh, They're really, okay. really good. So that, to me, it's like, it's maybe not an instant classic, but it's going to be in your top 10 albums of the year. Like it's In it's, rotation. Yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty high praise, I'll, I'll say that. So, uh, yeah, that, that's my rating for the Honey Butter Chips. And, Sounds great. And maybe we'll, we'll keep this segment going, and uh, I'll, I'll rate more things in the future. Sounds good. So thanks, Andrew, for coming on, as thanks, always. Man. Thanks for ra- rating the Honey Butter Chips. Yeah, this was a fun pod. So 
thanks guys for listening. Um, we'll be putting out more content um, later next week as we have. Um, I've been off on the soccer podcast, so we'll be back with a soccer pod next week. And as always, we'll have NFL podcast with my brother. Yeah, you and your brother, I love listening to you. I try and week. even if I don't listen to the whole thing, I try and catch you and your brother every week. That's that's always a pod I look forward to. So. Good times there. Thanks again, guys. And we will see you next week.